welcome in to episode 23 of The Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, and thanks for joining us as we take our weekly journey through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. We're going to do things a little differently this week. Last week, Jeff and I discussed the upcoming college football season, provided some analysis of the top four teams, and then listened to some segments from shows played in those cities. This week, we're going to talk some more college football, but this time we're going to do it with a bona fide professional, ESPN senior college football writer, New York Times best-selling author, and widespread panic fan, Mark Schlebaugh. Mark has a brand new book out called Violated, Exposing Rape at Baylor University Amid College Football Sexual Assault Crisis. Before we get to the conversation with Mark, I want to mention just a few things. We don't often talk about news-type things on this podcast, but I wanted to just touch on three things. First off, I know everyone has been touched by the images and stories of the people in Texas who are dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and the ongoing flooding in and around the city of Houston. We'll have links in the show notes for how you can donate. Please give what you can. Second, during the fantastic Lockin Festival, which took place this past weekend in Arrington, Virginia, just 40 miles from Charlottesville, and just two weeks since the awful events that took place there. Widespread Panic played a great set on Saturday and performed the Buffalo Springfield Classic for what it's worth. I have been known to complain about the fact that post-Mikey Panic has often leaned a little too heavily on the quote-unquote bust-out cover, but the timing of this one was perfect. No complaints from me. And finally, the band announced the release of their 10th multi-track archive release, a show from July 11, 1995 at the Blue Note Theater in Columbia, Missouri, which is a fantastic show from a fantastic tour. Of course, it'd be nice if they would release a show that we didn't already have a soundboard source from, but podcasters can't be choosers. Please buy it and show the band that we want them to continue releasing more classic shows. All right, enough of the news. Let's get back to college football. Here's my conversation with ESPN senior writer Mark Schleybaugh, and then Jeff will be along afterwards to play some of Mark's favorite live panic shows. All right, joined now by ESPN senior writer Mark Schlebaugh. Mark, I appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, great to be with you, Harvey. Uh, I absolutely want to talk about the upcoming college football season, but um, let's get to the important stuff first. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your sort of first exposure to widespread panic? Yeah, um, I was a senior at Norcross High School in, uh, in Atlanta in 1991. And if I remember exactly correct, the girl I was dating at the time, her sister was at Georgia Southern and her boyfriend came up and he had a tape in his uh, Jeep Cherokee. I believe he was driving and he stuck it in and I'd never heard anything like it. And I grew up listening to the Almond Brothers and Skinner and to a lesser extent, the dead. I just remember being in his car a few times and hearing it. And then when I got to Athens that next summer, uh, was fortunate enough to catch a show at um, 
the Georgia Theater, and then just was kind of hooked. And you know, I was there. I was in Athens from '91 through about '96. I think it took me five years to get out, but I mean, some of my best memories were going to see Panic at, at the theater and driving all over the country to see him. So it was, it was a really good time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That that seems to be a, a sort of consistent. Uh thing for people's first exposure to be i've never heard anything like it you know that it was just such it's such a sort of unique sound and you either get it or you don't yeah my wife hates it (laughs) (laughs) my kids don't like it i've had buddies you know i can remember uh driving up to blacksburg virginia for a game with a couple of buddies and the other guy larry williams was a huge panic fan and the guy in the back seat, Brett Jensen, absolutely despised him. So, of course, we put in like a 14-minute sports song and drove him absolutely crazy. But uh, it was uh, – nah, I mean, it's, it's when Mikey was with them, I mean, it was just – it's phenomenal. And, I, you know, and I never, for whatever reason, my buddies all listened to Panic and the Dead, and I never really got into the Dead. I never got into Fish. I never got into Leftover Salmon or some of those other bands. It was only really Panic, and I'm not sure exactly why. Yeah, it just it just it speaks speaks to some people in a different way. Um, any any sort of favorite uh, shows or through the years or you know things that yeah, stick out? Yeah, Red Rocks. I went to one Red Rocks show. Um, probably the funniest memory I had: me and a bunch of guys drove over to Auburn on like a Thursday night, and they were playing at the Supper Club in Auburn, and there were like eight people in there. Mm. And they were, and I mean, and they were just killing it. And um, we asked the the bouncer, "Where the hell is everybody?" And he said, "Oh, Charlie Daniels was playing at the K House." <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I mean, I give them credit, Jay. They they played till about midnight, and we had a great time. But there was probably maybe twenty, thirty people in there by the time the show ended. There's a there's a great uh, interview. I don't know if you ever saw the Earth Will Swallow You, the the documentary film that uh, the mm-hmm. Hanson brothers did. Uh, there's a great interview with Colonel Bruce in New Orleans talking about the first time that he saw Panic and that they were playing to you know eight people and they were playing full intention to like they were playing to ten thousand. So that's cool that you had a similar experience. Yeah, and we and and, and then of course you know the when I was in school the New Year's Eve shows at. Um, at the theater Mm -hmm. found out um, these are like my best memories from school my best friend Mark Neal and I found out that um, Todd's wife was um, a bartender at what was it called Uptown Lounge Mm -hmm. and she'd work New Year's Eve and so we'd go in there at like noon and sit there and drink Dollar Rolling Rocks and then she'd come (laughs) out about 9 o'clock at night she'd come out with a stack of tickets Oh, and nice. so we were able to get tickets, but we'd sit there and watch bowl games, drink Rolling Rock, go pick up some food from somewhere, and then go over and watch the show. I think we did that three years in a row, so that was that was really fun. How I mean, so yeah, so if you didn't have that, how hard was it to get to, you know, in ninety two, ninety three, in that in that time to get to to see Panic at the Georgia Theater? Was that uh, was that a tough ticket usually? Yeah, no, it was a really tough ticket unless you yeah. knew somebody. And I, I was working at the Red and Black covering the Georgia football team at the time, but I moonlighted as a music writer so I could get panic tickets. And um, Brown Cat, was, they were always real good to me. Sam Lanier, and I can't remember the chick's name that was there, but they would always give me tickets. And, um, you know, the, um, I, don't, I don't know how old you are, but the Super Jam tickets out sure, of the, yeah. the 
damn land fairgrounds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little uh, Those were tremendous, and uh, that was like 92, 93, 94, yeah, I think, were yeah, those. Yep. Yeah, you get government mule or uh, Colonel Bruce and all those. But I mean, I can remember one year there was a monsoon and they were playing Hatfield. Right. And then those guys just opened up and nobody could get out because the place was so muddy. But that uh, Memphis uh, girl I dated in college was from Memphis. So we always go up to Memphis in May, went to Jazz Fest a couple of times. So it was fun. Yeah. Um, so you still get to, you still, you know, peel away from the family every once in a while and, and get to a show? Yeah, I, I haven't been to one this year. Dan Beeson, their publicist, invited me to go down to the show, the 420 show something popped up but um i try to get the one show a year if i can too if i'm lucky mm-hmm. i've still got buddies who go down to mexico and red rocks every year and i've got three kids so i just i can't i right. can't get away but it's yeah. not as fun i still listen to them still got still got tapes in my car on cds now but it's fun yeah, there will always, always be tapes, no matter what yeah. the medium is. Um, so, so mid '90s in in early mid '90s, I guess mid '90s in Georgia, in Athens. Who uh, who's more valuable, uh, Terrell Davis or uh, Michael Hauser? Oh, Hauser, Terrell Davis is never <laughs> on the dang field because Ray Goff didn't know what he had. Um, <laughs> you know, he had he had a he had a bad hamstring. I remember seeing Terrell in the library one time, and and he was a great guy and was always yeah. great guy, but he said. Uh, he said, don't forget about me. And I said, all right. And, you know, he ended up going to Denver and becoming a, a Hall of Famer. But I'm glad he and uh, Golf kind of buried the hatchet because there was a long time. He was he was pretty bitter about his experience at Georgia. But he was a guy that started at Cal State Fullerton, and they dropped the program. So he transferred to Georgia. But, you know, he was supposed to, to be right in line after Garrison Hurston. It never happened. Yeah, yeah. I remember, in fact, I remember uh, my sister was was at Georgia. I think probably the same time you were, and was visiting her. And her boyfriend was like, you know, a walk on on the football team, and uh, we ran into Terrell on campus, like at the ATM. And he was he was like the kindest guy. I mean, I think it was the first year he was there. Um, and then we went to the game, and I think he scored a couple of touchdowns. But you know, he wasn't. Uh, he obviously wasn't the guy with Ray there, but. Um, no, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, for him, it probably ended up being the best thing that ever happened because he got to the league and he didn't have a lot of mileage on his tires. Right, right. And Shannon just kept feeding him the ball. But it was crazy because I remember right after him, Alandis Gary had a had a little run there. And Denver, so Denver had a lot of luck with George Bikes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about uh, college football uh, and and sort of tying it together with, with Panic and, and the South. I mean, in some ways, they're – they're both sort of regional uh, interests uh, that have expanded nationally, but really the, the, the passionate uh, fans remain down here in the South. What do you think it is about uh, the people in the South that, that love these two things more than, than people elsewhere around the country? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of it's part of the fabric. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you know, you think of, you think of Alabama, you think of, you know, Leonard Skinner, you know, it's you think of the SEC, you think of Nashville. Um, it's just kind of you kind of grow up with it, and you can become attached to it. And I, I think the college football part of it is, you know, most of the states, um, you know, a lot of Alabama, Mississippi, you know, they don't Arkansas, they don't have NFL teams, so there's an attachment right. 
to their college teams. And when I grew up, the Falcons sucked. So you watched Georgia and Georgia Tech. Um, but it's it's what makes the South so special, and I think it's what makes the region so unique. Is that you know the focus is on college football. When I took a job at the Washington Post back in about a t- 12 years ago, I guess now. I mean, it was like trying to force college football down people's throats. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. All right. they cared about was the Redskins, and the Redskins were horrible. Right. Um, all right, so who uh, who's your who's your top four this year? Uh, right now I'd go Ohio State, uh, Bama, uh, Florida State, and USC. Obviously, Alabama and Florida State play week one in Atlanta, but I think the loser of that game still has a chance. Still, still have a chance, yeah. Yeah, still a chance. Especially if Florida State falls to Bama, and I'm not saying they will. Um, you know, if they come back and beat Clemson, run the table, I think if they're 11-1 and one ACC champions, would definitely have a shot. Um, you know, Bama, I think, is going to be really good, obviously. Uh, I was over there a few weeks ago. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts will be better in his second season. I think there'll be a little bit more stability with Brian Dayball taking over as offensive coordinator. I don't think the defense is going to be quite as good as it has been in the last few years. I don't think it's going to be as dominant, but I think it's still going to be really good. Um, Ohio State, I think the fact that uh, Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana coach, has taken over the offense is a huge deal. Um, I think they're going to be much more explosive than they were a year ago. I think JT Barrett will get back to the guy we expect to – to see around to be under center, so I think they'll be good. Uh, USC just really picking them based on Darnold and mm-hmm. the way they finished the end of last year. But you know, Penn State could be in there. Uh, Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy and his mullet, they uh, have something <laughs> to say about it. I think they're the best team in the Big Twelve. I think especially I had them ranked higher than than Oklahoma in the spring, even before Stoop stepped down. But Oklahoma State is, is going to be really good with. James Washington and uh, the quarterback. Well, and Gun- back. Gundy's yeah. a grown grown man too. That helps. Yeah, he's fifty. <laughs> Hell, he's older than me. Yeah. Uh, any any sleepers you see like uh, teams outside the top ten that that might challenge for for a spot in the playoff? Uh, Auburn uh, with Jared Stidham, the Baylor transfer at quarterback. Gus Malzahn has turned over his uh, offense to Chip Lindsey, who was coaching high school football in Atlanta about four years ago. Um, but I think uh, with Stidham at quarterback, I think Auburn's got a really, really good defensive line. Uh, they could have a shot. Uh, Stanford, I think Stanford will get back to being Stanford. Um, you know, they're going to miss McCaffrey, but they got Bryce Love. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with the quarterback spot. Um, who else? Wisconsin, again, schedule's really soft. You kind of know what you're going to get, a big offensive line. they got a Pittsburgh transfer at tailback, who could be pretty good. Um, I think Miami's still a year away. I think Mark Ricks may end up, you know, really becoming a factor down there, but I think he's probably a year away. He's going to have an experienced quarterback. Still need to get the defense a little bit better. Um, we talked a little bit about the SEC West, obviously Alabama and Auburn. How do you see the East going this year? As a Kentucky fan, I'm, I'm hoping that we're there, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Nah, I was glad to see Mark Stoops uh, finish finish it off the way he did last year because he's yeah. a good guy. I know when he's at Florida State, I think it's it's such a it's such a hard job. 
people don't That's understand. Tough. I mean, you're at a basketball school. You're a state where the high school football isn't very good. Um, but you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I assume that you've seen, but one of the things that he's been able to do that, that folks haven't done at Kentucky in the past is go into Ohio uh, and Pennsylvania and pitch themselves as a local SEC school, you know, uh, and bring some of those those Midwest guys down, you know, that may not want to go all the way to, to Alabama, uh, stay close to home, but get to play in the SEC. Yeah. Well, they've had a, some success with that. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a Youngstown, Ohio guy, right? Right, so yep. Got the, he's got the roots there, but um, no, nah, he'll do a good job. And they'll, you know, I think, I think maybe fourth, third, fourth best team in the league. We'll see what Tennessee does. Tennessee's gonna have a really good offensive line. Obviously, have to replace Dobbs. Um, I think he's got five or six new assistant coaches, or at least guys. He hired three or four new ones, and he's got other guys. He's changed responsibilities, so that's never a real good sign. Um, you know, I, I think probably Georgia or Florida. Uh, Florida lost a lot on defense. Um, you know, we'll see what happens at quarterback, whether it's Malik Zaire or Felipe Franks. Uh, I think it's one of those two. I think whoever it is is going to be better than what they've had in the last couple of years. We'll see if Antonio Callaway can stay out of trouble. Um, Georgia offensive line has to get better. I think they'll be better than they were a year ago, but I still think they're a year away. Uh, Chubb and Michelle back, obviously one of the best one or two, one-two punches in the country. Eason, I think he'll take some steps. I think he's, you know, I, I think he's got the he's got the size. He has the arm strength. Um, for whatever reason, a year ago, I think it it took uh, it took a little while longer than than it should have to get him in the shot and then roll him out let him look down the field a little bit more. He has to make better decisions. But defensively, they've got 10 guys coming back from pretty salty D, so they should be really good on that side of the ball. Brought in a Ivy League kid to punt and a kid from Wofford to kick. And then they, and they brought in a little 5'7 guy from L.A. Community College to return kicks and replace Isaiah McKenzie. So they should be better on special teams. But, yeah, I'd say Georgia, Florida, maybe whoever wins the game in Jacksonville. Georgia's okay. schedule is not, other than the trip to Notre Dame in week two, which I'm looking forward to. I'm going up to that one. Um, they're at Tennessee, at Vandy, which is no longer a sleeper, and at Auburn, so a little bit tougher. I, had, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but you Very mentioned fun. going going up to South Bend. How does your – I mean, do you map – do you know what you're doing every week the rest of the year or the rest of the season, or is that something you kind of – you know, you pick a few and play by ear as, as the things shake out? Um, you know, in the last couple of years, I haven't gone to as many games. I think I went to four regular season games last year before the playoffs. It just seems like something big always happens, whether it's Baylor, excuse me, or Jameis Winston or Cam Newton or something like that. And it ends up taking all my time and efforts to look into those big stories. But this year, uh, I think I'm going to be at more games. I'm going to two games. The first week I'm doing Bama, Florida State. And then Tennessee, Georgia taking Tech in Atlanta, and then I'm in South Bend week two. And beyond that, I really don't know. We got we've got about 15 riders now, and we're all covering the entire country. Um, so it used to be me, Pat Forty, Ivan Mazel, and Gene Wojciechowski would get on the phone with our editors on Sunday and map out the week and decide where we go. But now it's kind of a little bit more play it by ear. But you know, I'll probably other than a couple of weeks. I'll probably be at a game every week. And I love sitting at home on a Saturday. 
Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, sitting out back with the fireplace going and, and just watching as many games as possible. When I was doing the Saturday night column game day final the last couple of years, and it, it helped to to really see everything that was transpiring mm-hmm. and taking notes and, you know, the big plays, that kind of thing. So it was it was more productive than going to a game. That was the thing when I covered Georgia for so long. You know, that was really the only game you got to see the entire day unless you had a noon kickoff. Right. So you kind of you didn't know anything about anybody else, really. Are you are you working on anything you know big right now, or are you still deep in? Uh, was the last uh, thing the Baylor thing, or you got anything yeah, else cooking right a, now? Yeah, I have. We, I, I wrote. I mean, you a can break. Feel free to feel free to break any right. news here on yeah. the Lewis tape. I, nobody will hear yeah. it. But. I will I'll plug. I'll plug the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I wrote a book uh, on Baylor called Violated, exposing rape at, at Baylor University. Um, I wrote it with Paula Levine, who's a reporter at Outside the Lines. We've been working on the Baylor story for about 18 months. It's, uh, it is not light reading. It was different from any other book I've ever done. I've done, I think, close to 15 to 20 books now, but this one was much more difficult and a lot more time-consuming than anything I've done in the past, but a uh, really important book, um, really important issue, and Thankfully, there were a lot of courageous young women at uh, Baylor who talked to us and told us their stories, and we gave them a voice. And it's, uh, I think it's everybody who's read it so far has been shocked by what transpired there. And, and hopefully, the uh, the people who are in charge now will take uh, some corrective measures to to make it a safe campus again. Yeah, I mean that's certainly the you know the role of the media often is is shining the spotlight right on the things that that uh, that aren't getting talked about and they're hard, they're hard to talk about sometimes but but definitely important. No, and uh, you know we'll be criticized regardless, but uh, it's uh, it's something you know uh, we've had a lot of female activists and um, sexual assault survivor groups who read it and endorsed it. So that means a lot, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, with two, uh, I got two daughters in high school who are getting to the age where they go to college and it's, it's certainly opened my eyes and I'll take a lot closer look at statistics and, and what types of programs and processes they have in place for sexual assault, because it, uh, is certainly a, a nationwide epidemic and it's not a Baylor issue and it's, it's not a college football issue. It's, it's a national epidemic, and we need to get a handle on it. All right, Mark. Well, um, I'll let you have the rest of your day. Uh, sir, we certainly appreciate you taking the time, and, um, you know, uh, I hope you have a great season. I hope uh, we, we get to see some uh, some fun stuff out on the field uh, in the fall for sure. Hey, I hope to hook up at a show with you in the future. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll try to make that happen. Thanks again, Mark Schlebaugh, senior uh, ESPN senior writer and uh, college football fan and uh, widespread panic fan, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you on the uh, we'll see you down the road somewhere. Great, thanks, Harvey. All right, many thanks to Mark Schlebaugh, senior writer for ESPN.com, great college football writer. Um, please follow him on Twitter at Mark underscore Schlebaugh. That's S C H L A B A C H. Um, follow all his writings on ESPN.com, and of course, check out his new book, Violated, uh, with Paula Levine exposing rape and at Baylor University amid, amid college football sexual assault crisis. That came out on August 22nd, and I'm sure it's available at your local bookstore, and of course, online, Amazon, and, and other places as well. Mark. Um, 
gave us uh, some of the standout shows um, from when he was seeing a lot of panic when he was at the University of Georgia from 91 to 96. Um, he gave us a list of shows mostly from 1993 and 94. So um, he passed that along to Harvey and myself, and we will take a look at four of those shows um, today. And the first show is right at the end of fall tour, 1994, uh, right at the end of November, November 30th, 1994, the National Guard Armory in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'll get things started uh, in the middle of the second set with Send Your Mind. Thank you. 
Half a mile from the county fair, and the rain came falling down. Me and Billy were standing there with a silver half a crown. Arms are full of fishing rods, had a tackle on our backs. Oh, we just stood dead getting wet with our backs against the fence. Don't rain all day We're storming to my soul Stone just like general We're stoned Now stone me to my soul Stone me just like coming home To a little general Lived all alone in his own little home 
great big gallon jar. There were bottles to one for me and you. And I said, hey, there you are. Oh, the water. Stop and go. 
Alright, widespread panic from the National Guard Armory in Chattanooga, Tennessee, November 30th, 1994. Send your mind into, and it stoned me, into Stop Go. And we didn't keep that little run going. Um, there's a Hatfield that comes after Stop Go that is really good and really pretty massive. Um, but the reason why we didn't choose it is because Hatfield's actually in the next show that we're going to choose. But this over, uh, Chattanooga show is overall pretty good. It's a pretty good sounding uh, uh, soundboard recording. Um, there's a bunch of those floating around um, from, from, from 1994. show gets off to a really strong start with Let's Get Down to Business, Machine, Barstools, Wondering. Uh, so definitely worth your time uh, to check it out. So we go into the next selection, um, which is a show that Mark mentioned during during uh, his interview with Harvey, um, the, the famous Super Jam shows from uh, summer of uh, in the early 90s. This is Summer Jam 4, so June 12th, 1994, in Athens, Georgia, over at the fairgrounds. And this one is a uh, an interesting show because there's a rain delay right in the middle of the show, and of course... Just coincidentally, it happens right at the end of Hatfield. Thank you. 
15-minute delay, see if this uh, rain cuts out, because uh, we got to turn off our generator, so it's going to get really dark, but just hang out, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Y'all, thanks a lot for being so understanding. The danger has passed and the fun is gonna begin one more time. Let's hear it for widespread panic.
Widespread Panic, Athens, Georgia, June 12th, 1994, Super Jam 4, Hatfield into a rain delay, and then after the rain delay into a very nice fish water. Um, again, these 94 shows are always really, really interesting. Um, a lot of one-set shows, obviously that November show we just played. Um, Fall Tour was a lot of uh, a mix of sort of single-set and two-set shows. Uh, Freddie Jones Band opening a lot. Um, but the summertime was a lot of one-setters, and... Um, this one here in, uh, in Athens, uh, between spring tour and, and summer tour, um, sort of a, a test maybe for what was to come in the summer tour. They play a show a week later in Birmingham, and then they head out west to uh, L.A. on June 30th to open up their summer tour. But just for, how's this for a lineup? Uh, Super Jam 4, uh, Jacko Pierce, Aquarium Rescue Unit, All Good, Dave Matthews Band, and Government Mule. So it's a pretty strong uh, lineup there at Super Jam 4. So our next selection, uh, we go back a little bit again uh, to another show that Mark referenced during his interview with Harvey. Uh, those famed New Year's shows at the Georgia Theater in Athens. Uh, definitely some of the better shows that Panic really has ever done. Um, Athens shows are always special, especially when... Um, they started after they had uh, started touring more widely and then came back and always the hometown show has always had a good feel to them. Uh, this one's no no different. Uh, find ourselves New Year's Eve 1993 um, and we are going to be in the second set right at the end of the second set actually and we'll kick it off with machine.
sorry All I seem to can do I'm on a ticket of time and worry all about you.
about my worries Lately that's a chair I done Cars, cars, cars So, so Worried, I'm not worried
Georgia Theater, New Year's Eve, 1993, in uh, Athens, Georgia. The closing segment of the second set, Machine, Worry into Just Kiss My Baby, Junior, and Proving Ground. And this is followed up by a pretty crazy encore with a jam with somebody named Roosevelt. Uh, postcard into Stop, Go, and Bowlegged Woman. And uh, again, another really solid show. Another soundboard recording. Um, you know, really gets... Um, uh, get some good clarity on these shows and these 93 shows again there's some there's some really great stuff going on this year and it's kind of again another one of those transitional years 94 is a unique year unto itself 93 is certainly a unique show too and they just played a ton of shows that year um there's a lot of great tapes floating around so um and this one's no different another good show um from the boys um as they return home to athens georgia all right, our last selection of the week is another 1993 show, um, right at the end of the Horde Tour in 1993, the next to last show of the Horde Tour that Panic was on the closer. We played something from the set, clo- I believe, from the closing show of the tour, um, August 15th, 1993, um, at Oak Mountain. Earlier, now we're playing the next to last show in Atlanta at the Lakewood Amphitheater, August 14th, 1993, and a really nice version of Low Spark of High Heel Boys with good friends David Blackman and John Popper. Oh. 
takes a minute to breathe Granted you one final wish Would you ask for something
John Popper. Thank you very much, everybody. All right. Final selection of the week, Widespread Panic, the Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta, Georgia, August 14th, 1993. Uh, low spark of high-heeled boys in the encore after a really solid show with uh, David Blackman sitting in on Takeout and Porch Song, John Popper sitting in on Fishwater and Traveling Light right at the end of the set, and then both of them come back out for a um, great version of Low Spark. Always a favorite. Uh, to be sure. And that pretty much wraps up our selections uh, for the week. Um, short but sweet commentary this week, but we'll be back uh, next week with a uh, with another special show and some great selections and, 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 and more commentary. Um, again, big thanks to Mark Schlebaugh um, for coming on board and talking about the upcoming college football season, talking about his love of widespread panic. Um, if you see him at a show sometime, it sounds like he tries to do at least one show a year. So make sure you say hello to him. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Um, Mark underscore Schlabach, S-C-H-L-A-B-A-C-H. Check out his new book, Violated. And of course, read read all of his great stories on ESPN.com. Of course, be sure to follow us too, um, at Bluest Tape on Twitter, Facebook, um, and of course, uh, many thanks to our loyal listeners 
uh, for tuning into this podcast and hopefully we'll uh, make sure you tell your friends or as Harvey says make sure you tell your friends or tell your enemies uh, you know they, they, everybody's got ears so we just want we just want people to listen to to this great music and uh, again we really appreciate it thanks to Panic Stream thanks to Everyday Companion for everything they do and thank you for listening so until next week take care